Welcome to the Worthy Writer edition of the Write Something Worthy podcast. Each month, we bring you an informative interview that helps you live your best life as an entrepreneur. Here on the Worthy Writer edition, we take a deeper dive into authorship topics through conversations with notable writers and quality industry professionals. And now, your host, Tanya Brockett. Greetings, Tanya here, and this week I am excited to share a fun conversation with Scott Stewart about inspiring kids, writing books, and chasing lions. Scott Stewart is a black male educator and businessman from the south side of Chicago who helps young people understand how to tap in to their inner genius by connecting business and technology. He is the founder of Genius Lab Inc., co-host of the Money, Sex, Gen X podcast, and author of 31 Ways to Improve Your Life, a book of stewisms. Listen in as I chat with our worthy writer of the week, Scott Stewart. Welcome, Scott, to the Write Something Worthy podcast. So glad to have you here. Glad to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. You know, I'd like to ask you a question first about your work with the Genius Lab. I found that so intriguing. And since I have some really STEM-oriented daughters, I thought it would Mm. be really nice to hear about the Genius Lab and what it does. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it has become a real business. Uh, initially, it started out started out as a response to a problem, right? Yeah. I've worked um, inside of Chicago public schools. I'm born and raised south side of Chicago. Shout out to Chicago, um, <laughs> and um, and and I worked in some pretty impoverished, poor neighborhood schools. And one of the things that I witnessed my time working with those students, those teachers in those communities here in Chicago was very, very little personal encouragement of students. I witnessed something that I had never experienced, although I attended and graduated from a Chicago public high school I had never witnessed students being degraded by adults. I had never experienced that until I became a teacher. And I listened to how some teachers really talk to students and some of the water cooler talk in teachers' lounges about students. And it was, it angered me. And so I was like, you know what, I believe You know, as a black man, I come from, you know, one of the greatest continents, most richest continents on earth and my ancestors do. That's our origins, right? Africa, right? Where we are kings and queens and royalty and leaders. And we are the the genesis of uh, astrology and science and math and technology and engineering. My God, my young people are geniuses. 
and they need to hear it, know it, and experience being identified as a genius. So it just started off as like, as students entered my classroom, I was like, welcome genius. Welcome to the genius lab. Welcome genius. Welcome to the genius lab. And that's where it started. I just wanted to tell, I just wanted to reinforce something different to my students that they had not, um, they weren't used to hearing. And in 15 years of working with Chicago Public Schools, I worked at three different schools. And so um, I just I just took it with me everywhere I went. And, um, you know, that's that was the beginning of what we do now, where we focus on preparing youth, primarily black and Latinx, especially black and Latinx, but all youth. Um, we prepare them for careers in the IT industry, the IT field by focusing on teaching um, business skills and technology skills. And it's a full-fledged business. We're incorporated. We're a corporation. So that's that's the long and short of it. That is awesome. So you are a for-profit corporation, not a non-profit. We are for-profit, not a non-profit, for a very specific reason. Um, In the black community, you don't see a lot of black ownership. You don't see a lot of African-American ownership. Part of my legacy is to be the demonstration of the man that I desire to be. I have to, um, I recognize the students learn more from adults by observing than they do um, by listening. So you can do all, you know, we we were just talking in the pregame, you and I, about how sometimes us adults, we say things, but then we don't really follow up, right? Um, and so students, young people pay attention to that. That's where they learn how to lie. That's where they learn how to manipulate because we show them that when we pick up the phone and somebody wants to talk to us and we say, tell them I'm not here. Or, you know, we tell the bill collector, sorry, you had the wrong number. You know, we give a fake accent or something and, you know, we teach that. I mean, and then we tell our kids, don't lie, don't cheat. But then they watch us do these things. So the reason, part of the reason we're for profit is to be a demonstration. And when people say uh, Big Stu, Scott Stewart, Professor Stewart, he owned a business. He owned a couple of businesses. It doesn't mean that I'm not philanthropic when I can be. Um, it just means I choose to demonstrate ownership. That is awesome. And one of the concepts that I saw in looking at your material was the concept of teams, T-E-A-M-S, mm-hmm. technology, entrepreneurship, arts, math, and science. Yeah. Jeez, I just absolutely love that because I came from a background of entrepreneurship. And prior to getting into working directly with authors 15 years ago, I was a business consultant, and I helped to launch thousands of businesses and get millions of dollars of investment and help people to grow and harvest and so forth. And entrepreneurship was just not taught, you know, when I was in school. As a matter of fact, even when I was in college, in my school of commerce, we only had one class that I think I could find that was focused on a small business where it wasn't add three zeros, you know, (laughs) 
because mm-hmm. entrepreneurship often doesn't have those three zeros to start. Right. And so I loved your concept of the teams. What a great combination. Yeah, it's, you- it's, it's, a, it's, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 no. What sparked that for you? What, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, quite honestly, <clears throat> two things, two things. One, um, you know, um, STEM, right? So mm-hmm. when I, as a, as a Chicago public school teacher, I found myself teaching a lot of STEM pro, STEM classes. I created an entrepreneurship program while in grad school that um, I decided to market to schools in the Chicago area. Met a high school principal after being rejected 19 times on the 20th time. It's like you couldn't, you can't make this up, right? That sounds so cliche-ish. 19 principals, 19 schools, I'm over it. I'm done. You know what? This day, they don't want it. They, I have a friend. He's like, my mom's a high school principal. I bet, you know, I bet she'd be interested. Take it to her. I took it to her. And, you know, she's like, we love this program. We want you to teach it. You know, you can come on. I was like, but I don't have a degree in education. My degree is in business and marketing. She's like, don't worry. We have an alternative certification program. The only caveat is you can teach entrepreneurship, but we need you to teach computers too, computer science, a little office. And I was like, oh man, I I love tech, business and tech. You got, you can't do business without a little tech. And that was before STEM was even popular, right? It wasn't even popular to teach STEM to high school students. So when STEM became this thing, then it became okay, I teach science, I teach technology, teach a little bit engineering when you talk about design. I teach some math because you can't avoid it in business and tech. You got to have a little math. But I also teach this entrepreneurship stuff. Uh, and some, some other people had some uh, acronyms like STEAM, science, technology, yeah. engineering, arts, and math, right? And then mm-hmm. I, I had STEAM at first, science, technology, uh, engineering, entrepreneurship, and math, uh-huh. as I removed yeah. the arts. And then from a marketing perspective, I was like, look, I'm always teaching students to be collaborative, to be personable, to be a good team member. <gasps> Teams. So I moved it around. I said technology, engineering, art. No, I'm sorry, technology, uh, Um, entrepreneurship, art, math, science, because I really don't teach engineering. So that's how we got to teams. It was a marketing ploy, to be very honest, right? It's like, put a spin on it. good for me. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'm glad you like it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, because entrepreneurship is one thing that I feel is, Obviously, as I said before, lacking in education these days. Now, obviously, it's much more prevalent than it used to be. I, you know, I came up in a time when it wasn't. <laughs> but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I love seeing it now because if you think about it, if you think about the at-risk youth and mm-hmm. the kids that people complain about, oh, 
they're not up to anything good and so forth. Well, what are you teaching them that's good mm-hmm. that they can apply their skills to? I mean, I, I've heard, you know, sermons in the past. Well, you know, you're good at marketing. If you can sell drugs, you can sell, you know, widgets, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. that, in a sense, that's true. Teach people how to sell and market and uh, be passionate about products that actually add value to our community. You don't yeah. teach people how you expect them to know. Tanya, here's another, let me, let me, let me back up a little bit. Let me, you know, so I come from a very traditional home, right? Um, my father's a blue collar worker. He was one of the first, uh, who, uh, rest, rest in peace to my dad. Um, a, uh, one of the first black, um, Chicago police officers hired to the force, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was a homemaker turned teacher where she taught, mm-hmm. um, adult education at a city college, Malcolm X College here in Chicago. I went to private school from uh, first grade through eighth grade and then went to public school, uh, a very good public school near my house for high school, right? And I, I did all the right things. With I had some hiccups along the way, just being a, a, a boy, being a young boy. <clears throat> no real trouble, but... I went to college, got, got the advanced degree, got a job, and realized this ain't for me. And it wasn't because I didn't desire to be there. The truth of the matter was they weren't going to let me grow. They were not. I, was, I, I had all of the accolades as my other incoming uh, peers uh, but I wasn't getting the looks nor the opportunities to grow now that I had this degree. And I, the writing was on the wall. I said, this is not going to work. There's no way I can do this waiting on corporate America to determine that I'm fit for more than this entry-level role that everybody has to pass through. You got to do, you, you have to do You know, unless your uncle or your dad is uh, in C-suite, you got to do the customer service stuff first. Everybody starts there. Everybody starts in the mailroom. And so just early on, like six months in, I was like, this can't, this is, this is treacherous. Um, It's not going to work. I I knew right then that I was going to have to be entrepreneurial. I was also lucky enough that my mom planted the seed in me when I was 12. And she literally um, registered me with the state of Illinois as a sole proprietor, uh, Scott's Enterprises. Well, if you know if you know a little bit about business, you don't have to register a sole proprietorship, right? Right. That doesn't require registration. But she did, she she knew that. But she did the paperwork. It was all very intentional. Didn't cost her a dime, right? And she planted that seed in me early. I didn't want to be an entrepreneur when I was 12. I didn't want that responsibility of having to cut grass for the neighbors and, and, and wash their cars and rake their leaves. That, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to ride my bike. But I did it, right? I made a little money. 
And then the bug, what she did was exactly what I do today. She planted a seed. Mm. She planted a seed. I saw her work her businesses. And I'm, you know, kind of second nature emulated those behaviors. And I never imagined that I would have the level of success that I'm having running two businesses today. I never would imagine that. One, when I was in high school, there was one thing that I wanted to do more than anything every single day that I went out, went to high school. Can you guess what that one thing was that I wanted to do every single day that I went to that school, Tanya? Uh, no, I'm not going to make assumptions. What was it? There was one thing, and I wanted to get out of there, okay? <laughs> I wanted to leave. Now, I didn't cut class. I wasn't that guy. I just didn't like high school. And believe it or not, I was one of the most popular people in high school. High school was terrible to me. I didn't like how young people socialized. I didn't like what you had to do to fit in. So the thought of becoming a teacher never entered my mind Mm -hmm. while I was in high school or in college or as a young adult finishing uh, college. I fell into it, and it is a calling. I can't shake it. I can't let it go. Um, and, and just one more, one more story, just short story. In grad school here in Chicago, as soon as I graduated, the dean of my program, our marketing program, business program at Roosevelt University, offered me a teaching position. I said, this is impossible. I was like, I just graduated. How am I, how are you offering, do you know what these people are going to say about me as their peer, now I'm teaching classes at the grad level. This is a big deal. And the dean was like, you've got it. You have it. You have it. I was, ah, you know, I don't know. What you. I couldn't see it. I just couldn't see it. I taught one year. I taught two semesters. First semester, miserable. I was like, this. I'm the worst teacher ever. I told the dean, I said, I don't think I can do a spring semester. This is, this is too much torture. I'm, I suck at this. And she was like, you're fine. You're <laughs> it's like, you're fine. Wow. You're, you're, not, you're, you're not as bad as you think you are. I did the spring semester, and I said, I, I really appreciate the vote of confidence. I cannot do this. I don't have the training to do that. I'm not. I, and that's when I you know, started pitching my entrepreneurship. I said, I can run a business. I can run a program, but I don't want to be the teacher. But Tanya, I was setting myself up to be a teacher of these programs. I was going to teach kids. You see how right. backwards this is? Like, <laughs> I, I'm thinking I don't want to be a teacher, but I'm starting a business to be a teacher. Mm. And working at Chicago Public Schools gave me the, the space to hone my craft. As a matter of fact, that's where I wrote my first book. As a high school teacher, I wrote a, a vanity book. Um, it's called um, A Book of Stewisms, 31 Ways to Improve Your Life. Uh, it's still available on Amazon today and on my website. And I really just wanted to show my students, I wanted to get their attention. Uh, I didn't want to be the teacher that lectured and talked. Uh, as you can see, I'm pretty loquacious. I love to talk. But I don't want to do that to my students. So I put it in a book. 
And they were so excited that their teacher was an author. Lots of mistakes in the book. I I self-published, gave everybody a copy, and they loved it. And um, I just haven't looked back since. Wow. So so you had to pull that together yourself. Your target audience for your book then was your classroom. I mean, your students, that population. Yeah. Hmm. Which my students reminded me of me when I was their age. So it was like, man, I can identify with these kids. I know what it's like to not like school. Not because you're unintelligent, but because you're disconnected from the teacher. When I was in school from from first grade through my senior year of high school, I had four black teachers. Two in grammar school, elementary school, two in high school. I wasn't um, an average student because I was unintelligent. I was an average kid because those teachers didn't know how to connect with me. They they didn't they didn't understand my household or my neighborhood or how friend how they didn't understand the music. I remember one year in grammar school we were playing some maybe it was some Michael Jackson or some Prince and one of the teachers, you know, was like turn that turn that jungle music off. Like that's how that's how we got talked to. Turn that jungle wow. music off. You know, and we didn't think anything of it other than, you know, that was rude, but turn it off, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you got me whacking my brain. I can't even, I can't visualize any black teachers. Oh, wait, I remember one. Okay. I did have one black teacher in eighth grade, I guess, and it was a shop teacher. Mr. Bland, and mm. literally, and um, <laughs> but I can't remember anybody else in my twelve years right now. As I'm thinking about it, the K through twelve mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And, and I and I can I feel like I'm lucky because I literally did have I had four black teachers in all of my <laughs> formal education um, in um primary education two two males uh, miss heiner was my first grade teacher mr moody was our music teacher in from first through eighth grade in high school miss walker was my sophomore english teacher and mr mcgee was my african american history teacher in my senior year mr mcgee really saved my life so my parents divorced my sophomore year of high school. And mind you, I'm one of the most popular people in my high school. Uh, I had I always felt like I had to juxtaposition myself as having it together. Although I was going through this terrible, terrible splintering of my family at home. I literally... Can you tell me? Mm-hmm. Pardon me for one second. Sure, Are you sure. an only child, or did you have siblings to go through this with? So I'm not an only child. I am the baby boy. Okay. So all of my siblings, uh, my sister, my sister with my 
my biological sister, and then, well, my, my other sister is also my biological sister as well, but it's not, you know, my, my sister I grew up with in the house, but my dad had another child out of the marriage who was older than my sister. Um, but, and, and my sister who I grew up with, she and I are six years apart in age. Wow. So by the time I was in eighth grade, she was, you know, in college. Right. right? So right. I had a lot of time feeling as I, I was the only child, but I wasn't. I remember on occasion even telling people that I was the only child, but I wasn't. It just felt that way a lot. So, yeah, you know, in high school, I'm I'm trying to put on like everything is okay, but it wasn't. At, at um, you know, dealing with divorce and I, I lost the train of thought of where I was going with this 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 point, but. Um, maybe it'll come back to me in a few minutes. So, well, when your senior English, um, your senior teacher, African American studies. Teacher, oh, he saved Mr. That. McGee saved my life, Mr. McGee. So, I'm going through this divorce, and by senior year, I'm just I'm I'm really angry, right? But I'm a nice guy, but I'm angry, right? Um, and I'm starting to hang out with some undesirables, some of the gangs, some of the gang guys, right? I'm not in a gang. But I'm starting to hang out with him. And Mr. McGee, he he, rec- he sees it. He's like, man, he's like, Stu, you're a good kid, man. You're a smart kid. I wrote for the school paper. Um, ah. Sophomore, junior year, I, I, I won city for mock trial competitions. Um, I've always articulated pretty well. Um, I was a better academic student than I was an athlete. And uh, so it wasn't, again, it wasn't, had, it had nothing to do with me being unintelligent. It was all about engagement. And Mr. McGee was, he wouldn't let me slide. He wouldn't let me senior year. He wouldn't let me cut class. He wouldn't let me slide. And he didn't force it on me. He demonstrated it to me. He just, he was the guy, the pivotal guy in my life where I started to get serious. I started to see myself as a successful black man because of Mr. McGee, Mr. Lester McGee. Um, absolutely for sure. And oddly enough, my music teacher in, in grammar school, his name was Lester Moody, Mr. Moody, Lester Moody. So um, it's interesting, but yeah. Yeah. So now you've got all of this, going on now you what is the most exciting thing that you've got going on uh in terms of projects or things that are on your plate right now what's exciting you most right now where we are with technology and education um a changing of the guards it's so super exciting to me it's the changing of the guards and how this this current school age generation will generate money for themselves um, how technology will continue to evolve, machine learning and AI and and the possibility, because I see nothing but pure opportunities for people of color over the next, you know, 20, 30, 50 years in the tech slash business space. And I'm super, super excited about leading the charge 
with helping young people realize that they actually can participate in the tech entrepreneurial economy now. They don't have to wait until they're 30. They can do it at 12, 14, 16. And uh, that's super, super exciting to me right now. That really is. And mm-hmm. how wonderful that you you can hold that <clears throat> vision so that others can uh, step under that and, and follow that lead. I think that's tremendous. Now, now my question, because, you know, I'm a book coach, I'm a ghostwriter, and I'm a copy mm-hmm. editor. I want to oh, wow. know what you're going to do to publish your next book that's going to inspire the next generation to take mm-hmm. that next step. Yeah, I'm I'm actually thinking about that. <clears throat> um I, I would need I, I actually because my first book is riddled with mistakes. I mean, you would cringe as a professional writer. You would cringe. I already know. My mom um is a writer, but she's you know, she's she's we need we need professional writing. I, I under I understand the process of going from being self published to having help to publish some works. Um, I have some ideas of this next title. Uh, it's funny because I just now started to embrace the ideology that I am an author. I did write and publish, self-publish a book that does make me an author, right? <laughs> so yes, it does. let me own it. Yeah, let me own it and treat it as such. I think that's the that's the, one of the mistakes that I made. And I won't call it a mistake. That's one of the decisions that I made. I didn't. I, I didn't want to associate with being an author, I, um, and so I didn't treat my first book as such. Right? Um, I treated it as Tell just. Tell me about a, that, though. Yeah. Tell me that. Why did you not want to associate with being an author? Because it's corny. It's corny to my. <laughs> you know. Um, you know. It, oh. You know. I'm. It, it it was corny. It was corny. Like like teachers are corny, right? Like <laughs> teachers. It's rare when you when you find a cool teacher, right? You find a cool author. That's uh, exciting. That's it seems so stereotypes. So yeah. I knew I wanted to. I, I want. I, I desire to write. I desire to be a writer. That is very true, but it's not. It, it it didn't come up as being like one something that I saw a lot of black authors right so it wasn't it was kind of a boring concept to me and I I felt like I needed to make sure that I wasn't putting myself on a pedestal right an undeserved pedestal particularly based on who I was talking to and who I was writing to right I needed to remain approachable. I needed to remain humble. So I didn't want to associate with being an author because that seems foreign. That seems hard to do. But as I presented this book and if I say, hey, I'm like you and I did this on my own and you can too, that's more palatable. To the point, to the point, two, so far, two of my former students have published their own books. To the point that one of my former students is one of my attorneys today, right? Mm. So I foster, and I have a ton of these stories where my students, 
my earliest students that are 14 when I met them, they're 31, 32 years old now, right? Many of them I still engage with, I consult with on their businesses. I've sat uh, I, tonight, tonight, as a matter of fact, I'm, I've joined the advisory board of one of my former students. He's like 30 years old. He has a, a tech business, right? And I'm on his advisory board. That That is uncommon hmm. yeah. to me. And I haven't met, <clears throat> I, have, I still have yet to meet a, any other teachers that can say that about their students. Oh, well, my students that I taught, you know, writing, you know, and I'm sure they're out there. I'm not saying that they're not out there. You know, I, my students have published X amount of books. So I can say my students that I've taught business and technology to, they're doing it. Many of them are doing it. And some of them I actually work with. We exchange money. We exchange ideas. We sign contracts. We, you know, do the work, the real work. Um, <clears throat> and so that's super, super exciting yeah. to me. And that's also motivating to me as well. Absolutely. So I, I still want to know what the next title is. Hmm. <laughs> for your next book. Hmm. Where are you going with it? Uh, okay. It might go along the lines of something like, about time y'all made some room at the table. Make some room. Uh, make, I brought my own table. How about that? Bring your own table. Hmm. I like it. Okay, we're teasing it out now. Bring your own table. I made this table. We can make a table together. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I don't well, yeah. It's it's something along the lines of just yeah it's something along the lines of saying hey you're valuable already you know it's something like you know hey make room at the table you can have a seat at the table I'm bringing the table now what right um, your young people you don't have to wait on the validation of somebody else to recognize that you're already valuable you don't need to ask someone for a seat at their table when you can bring the table and and make seats available for others so they can start bringing their own tables as well. Um, it would be along the lines of that. Awesome. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the title would be, though. That's all right. It doesn't have to, doesn't have to, <laughs> happen to, doesn't have to be there until you go to print. But I heard on one of your I heard on one of your, I think it was one of your podcasts where you talked about, somebody was talking about, you know, it's important to have the title first so you can know what you're, you can know where you're going. How do you write a book and not have the title? You know, like, well, you I think can that, have I think, a working title. You can have okay. a working title, but it doesn't have to be written in stone. So, okay. for example, it's awesome if you've got a concept of your book and you can create a mock cover, you know, to uh, keep you inspired for filling that book with the words that are intended for it, that's awesome. But it doesn't mean that that cover is going to be the one that ends up on your book. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that makes sense. Like, yeah, one of my 
client who was on the best book of 2020 list last year, she mm. had, we, cre- you know, created um, a book cover with an, an entirely different title that was on the desk throughout the mm. entire writing process so that, all right, this is where we are. I am so happy and grateful now that you are a, you know, a well-published author with a big house in New York. And at that time, mm. you know, um, a big publishing house. At that time, mm. she didn't have a book deal. She didn't have an agent. She didn't have anything. Mm. So we created mm. that cover to visualize it. So you can have the title to help you to uh, set your intentions and get clear on who your ideal reader is and get excited about the content that you're going to give them. And then, and the feeling that you want them to have when they put that book down. Mm. And so you can use all of that to fuel your your passion for the writing and for getting that book out. But it doesn't have to end up being the exact title of the book. It just gives you that inspiration as you're working through. And it may end up being the title or it may not. But don't feel you know, like you asked me by it. Yeah, I think you you got me you got my wheel spinning. You asked a question earlier. Um like what What's what's motivating me? What's exciting to me? Um, there's a book that I read by Mark Batterson called uh, Chase the Lion, if I'm not mistaken. Chase mm-hmm. the Lion, Mark Batterson. Um, it's a book that continues to inspire me today. I've, I've already I've read it twice, and I'm already knowing that I'll I'll read it a few more times in my you know in my life. Right. The book is all about um it uses the analogy of the lions are lions are, are, are representative of the things that we fear in our lives like ridicule judgment failure poverty bad relationships so forth and so on i did a i did a remix uh mentoring program based off of this concept lion chasing because before i can talk to students about starting a business or building a mobile app or, you know, um, learning how to invest in stocks, right. Or becoming financially responsible before I can do any of that. I have to help students retrain their brain. And a lot of what gets in our way for, of writing books or completing projects or going for opportunities are these lions that live inside of us, these self-imposed fears. I don't want to rewrite Mark Batterson's book. I, I, I suggest everybody get that book. But there is, a, um, there is this conversation about confident in yourself and in your own abilities, recognizing, one, that you already have all the power uh, that you need right now to be successful and you're in control of yourself. You are, you are in control. And, and then two, that you, uh, uh, you will uh, be honest with yourself. So self truth. And that number three, that you will have a vision for your life and begin to step into who you desire to be. And number four, you'll surround yourself with people who are going to hold you accountable to get to number five, um, which is 
the self-affirmation or self-talk where you're affirming yourselves, you're, 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 you know, you're actualizing, you're actualizing, you're, you're moving with intention, uh, laws of attraction, right? You know, self-talk. So these five principles kind of build up um, this ideology of like, you got to start here on the path of removing these fears um, or at least having the audacity to address the fears, face the fear and do it anyway. Um, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about when I, you can talk about this next title. It, it is about getting comfortable in your, with yourself, with your flaws and being okay with that and still bringing something of valuable or value to whatever space that you enter into. I hope that made sense. Everything that I just said. Yeah, it did. It absolutely did. And it reminds me of two things, actually. One, in the book publishing courses that I've taught at universities and elsewhere, one of the greatest challenges when I ask people to express what their dream is and then to identify their dream zapper, that that electric bolt that could mm -hmm. knock them out of their dream, the biggest bolt was fear. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, I've heard a lot of experts say, you know, fantasized events appearing real, future events appearing real, mm -hmm. but they're really not, right? They're just mm -hmm. the anticipation of either a negative experience forthcoming or the fear of failure forthcoming in some way mm -hmm. or another. And so mm -hmm. what I had to do, and, and I just shared this in another podcast interview, I had to like help them to kick that fear out of the room yeah. so that they could actually see themselves achieving their success as, an author in this case, but just as your students have to be able to see themselves as successful yeah. tech entrepreneurs and you give them the reason to believe in that vision and that, that is really exciting. Another thing that it reminds me of with the lion and um, typically the lion roars, right? Just to, you know, shake you in your boots and That's maybe right. it'll make you stop and then he'll just gobble you up, whatever. <laughs> But when um, a chamber president here in my area um, told me once to run to the war, mm -hmm. he said, run to the war. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just see that. I hear that when I think about that lion chasers um, that you're talking about and your course and your program run to the war. I just love that. I think you've got something great, um, great there. And it is all about mindset. Yeah. Mindset is so yeah. critical to what we believe we can become. It, it is critical to what we can achieve, what we can do, how we do it. So you're helping your students, your audience to have the mindset that they need in order to be successful is really key. I even have a course that I have for my authors. It's the mindset of a bestseller. Mm. Mm. People would come into my you know, book publishing classes or into my office for coaching and be like, 
well, I'd love to write a book, but you know, I don't really see it going anywhere. I Isn't that something? <laughs> it's like, well, why are we here? You know, we need to get behind this with belief. You have to believe you have every right and every ability to be successful. And with me at your back, you do. So mm. let's get that out of the way and let's focus on what we really want to believe rather than what we have been told we should believe, et cetera, et cetera. So I mm. love that you um, address the mindset and I love that you give your audience the confidence mm-hmm. to move forward and just pull that daggum chair right up to that table. That is absolutely true. You you, you said one you said um there were two two major um zappers, dream zappers, I think uh, that, that kind of zapped those. You said it was fear, uh failure. And do you remember what the other one you said? No, I get so caught up in my words. I don't even know. I know, I'm the same way. So, but, but <laughs> That's here's, why I have all my clients record their uh, calls with me because if I get struck so with you inspiration, go back. <laughs> that's right. Well, I wanted but to, fit- I wanted, I'm sorry, I just wanted to address, you know, another fear for, in my experience, what my students run up against is two, the two most prevalent fears. Number one, fear of failure, right? Mm-hmm. Right behind the fear of failure is the fear of success. Absolutely. That is so okay. right. Why does right. everybody okay. like that? What yeah. if, you know, what if it goes really well? Then I'm going to have to, That's like, right. change. I'm going to have to, like, get That's out right. in front of people, you know. Right. People are going to because demand my time. That's right. And uh, us Americans, and, I, and I'm just saying America, it could be elsewhere, too. But in America, I know. There's a lot of uh, there's a there's a stigma around, you know, here in America, you can actually be born poor and and become wealthy. You can do that in America. Right. But there's this stigma about not changing. Listen, I am not from abject poverty. I'm not. But I've been poor. OK. I'm no longer poor. And in order to go from being poor to not being poor, you have to change. <laughs> you cannot Absolutely. stay the same. I can't read the same articles. I can't watch the same TV programs. I can't hang out with the same people that I did as a young boy. Um, and so I, I help I help my students understand that as well. Like it changes. It, if you don't change, you 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 you're you're one of you're comfortable staying where you are, and that generally is where a light bulb goes off, and they're like, "No, I want different." Well, you got to do different. So, I just wanted to make that that uh, distinction. That is absolutely right, and you know we are growth beings. We are designed to grow. We're not designed mm-hmm. to just stay in the same place and be the same way all mm-hmm. the time. You know, if we're not growing, we're dying. So, um, so growth requires change. Absolutely. It requires us to think differently to solve a different problem than, you know, we had yesterday. Because we already know what it's like to be where we are. Hmm. 
So you have to change in order to move beyond that and be somewhere else. Whether it's just a, whether it's a uh, continue, please. I'm sorry. Please continue. Whether it's just a shift in direction or just a shift in mentality, you may be still mm-hmm. headed towards the same general direction. But if you don't have the, a different mindset that's going to take you to that next level, whether it's financial, whether it's achieving generational wealth, whether it is, you know, writing that next book, whether it's making that next positive impact, whether it's hitting, you know, and, and changing the lives of 10,000 more people, you've got mm-hmm. to step up to that. Mm-hmm. So. Very true. Very, very true. Very true. Yeah. We, I feel like we should we should be thinking about a part two to this conversation. I think so. <laughs> oh my goodness, this has been so much to talk juicy about, and ah, so fantabulous. I really appreciate your time here today and the inspiration that I am sure you have inspired <clears throat> in our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us on Write Something Worthy. The pleasure (laughs) is all mine, and I want to thank you for allowing me to share this moment in time with you. It has been an absolute delight, an absolute pleasure, and I appreciate every moment of it. Thank you. Now, before I let you go, though, I do Mm -hmm. need to know how our listeners can tap into you. Um, and where can they find you? So um, they can find me on Instagram, uh, Professor Stu. Um, You can also uh, find me on, uh, follow, you know, um, us on Twitter at Genius Lab Shy, C-H-I. And I'm everywhere, Big Stu, S-T-E-W, Scott Stewart, Professor Stewart, it depends on how you know me. I'm everywhere. Um, you know, just go on your search engine and put that in and my name and I'll pop up. But Instagram Instagram and uh, Twitter is where you'll find me the most. Okay. Well, we're going to have links to you on our show notes. So they'll be able to go sure. to writesomethingworthy.com and find you uh, in this episode as well. So um will make sure that they can reach you no matter what. And, you know, I look forward to having you back on the show another time because, as I said, this really has been a delight. So thank you again. Tanya, thank you. Thank you very much. And keep doing what you're doing. You have a great platform here. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in on our conversation with Scott Stewart today. It was such a joy. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Don't forget to check out the show notes at writesomethingworthy.com or wherever you listen to your podcast so that you can tap into the resources we discussed today, including where to find Scott and his Genius Lab, where to find the mindset of a bestseller course so that you can get your head straight and write your best book ever and chase those lions that are in your life that are keeping you from becoming a best-selling author. We look forward to seeing you next time. Have a blessed day.
You've been listening to the Write Something Worthy podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or email us your feedback at podcast at writesomethingworthy.com and we'll catch you next Word Worthy Wednesday.